Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be at this morning for our time in God's Word together. Matthew chapter 5 little intro last week on the Sermon on the Mount and uh, getting into the actual text of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12. Jim made a a, a bit of a joke of memorizing it Wednesday night, but um, the Beatitudes, I would actually commend you the the practice of memorizing these first 12 verses of chapter 5. We'll be spending several weeks in the Sermon on the Mount So, I mean, if you wanted to just pick up every week each little section, you could memorize the whole Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, and it wouldn't hurt you none. Um, But these Beatitudes specifically, they are very powerful. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So, as I said, we're marching into the actual text from the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And this message, this first discourse we get in the Gospel of Matthew of 5, Jesus begins just by pronouncing a blessing upon his people. Here's what it means, Jesus says, to live the blessed life. He tells them who are truly the blessed people. It's less a description of how to get blessed. It's just saying, here's, here's what the blessed people of the world, of the kingdom of Jesus, look like. And there are several shocking things that we come across when we read these words. And I think that the most shocking is really the counterintuitive ways, descriptions, that Jesus gives of what it means to be blessed, right? We read through this list, and if we were to take a poll or to uh, you know, have us everyone submit your top three ways of what it means to be blessed, 
would we list any of the things that Jesus puts down as what it means to be blessed? If the whole Sermon on the Mount could be described as teaching the king's people how to live like the king's people, that's what I said last week, right? The Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters, are a description of how the king's people live like it, how to live like the king's people. Well, I think the Beatitudes could be summarized as the blessing of having Jesus as your king. The Beatitudes are a recalibration of the compass of your life. It's a recalibration of the compass of your life. What is the direction we want to be going? What are the things that we are seeking after? Where is your compass pointing? What is a blessed life? What are we searching after? What makes life good and meaningful? And the answer is simple coming from the Beatitudes. What makes life good and meaningful? It's simple. Having Jesus is what makes life good and meaningful. Being in the king's country, having a citizenship that is not of this world, but a citizenship that is in heaven. That is what it means to be blessed. Which means that all the things of life that turn you to Jesus are, to be, are a blessing. It's a tough teaching, really, when you get down to it. When you start talking about some of these things, all the things, the hardship, the difficulty, the trials, the disappointments, the persecutions, the mourning, the, the poverty of spirit, all of these things, if they turn you closer to Jesus, that's what it means to be blessed. To be drawn closer to him is to be comforted by him. To be satisfied in him is to be blessed. This is not an easy teaching, really. And certainly it is not one that will be celebrated in the world. In fact, Jesus knows this, right? He's saying they're going to persecute you, actually. If you'll really convert to this way of thinking, this prioritization of your life, where Jesus, having him, is my central, is my drive, is the, the magnet that aligns my compass. Having Jesus, it will put you at odds with the world. Yet, these are the words that come from Jesus himself. So we ask, what then does it mean to be blessed? If you could sit down or just in your own head, you know, what are, what are the parameters that we put on life that say when life looks like this or when we have these things or when this event these good circumstances are going on what is it to mean blessed Jesus gives us eight blesseds blessed are blessed are blessed are he gives us eight different ones and we can list them out pretty easily right blessed are the poor those who mourn those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. The peacemakers and the persecuted. Did I miss one? I, the, uh, the meek. I got uh, The meek. I skipped the meek. Gosh dang it. That one's very, it's, it likes to stay hidden. <laughs> it doesn't like to be talked about all the time. Meekness is in there. And so at the first reading... <laughs> You know, is Jesus confused? Like, honestly. I mean, this, this is, I, 
has how long has he lived? On, I mean, I know that he's been here 30 years, but it's like, does he get what the world is really about? Is he confused? How can this be the blessed life? I'm sure that if we just gave in to our carnal worldly selves, we could come up with a much longer and much more blessed list of what it looks like to be the blessed life. We've got social media now and people are placarding all of these great things. We have a much more refined definition of what it means to be blessed. None of the things, actually, if you were to take this out and not tell the people that you're giving them the Beatitudes, but if you were to describe poverty of spirit and all of these things out, mourning and being meek and hungry and thirsty for righteousness, if you'd list that out, what kind of person is this? I don't think they'd say, well, that's a person who's blessed. Is Jesus confused? It sure seems that way. Maybe Jesus is confused or else we don't know what it means to be blessed. None of these things seem like a blessed life. Do we have a wrong definition of what it means to be blessed? And I'd say, no. We know what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to be happy, is to be joyful, is to have a life that's actually envious. If you read some the, that word there of what it means to be blessed, it's like your life is going so well that others want that same life. And that's what it means. We very clearly know what it means to be blessed. It's to have it good. At the core of what's going on, to be blessed is to have it good. We know exactly what blessed means but we clearly have a different understanding of what it means to get there. So I think it's important to take time to realize very starkly the contrast between who Jesus says is blessed and who we in our natural worldly thinking is blessed. There's a big distinction Jesus is drawing here. There's a big contradiction between what we think and our carnal worldly minds, what it means to be blessed, and yet what he describes to be blessed. And the reason why I think we've got to confront this is here's the reality. None of us come to this question as blank slates. There is no tableau rasa or whatever. None of us come with a blank slate when it comes to what it means to be blessed. We live every day, we've grown up in a family, we've lived immersed in a culture, we've watched movies, we've read stories, we have all sorts of voices coming into your life. You have all sorts of voices coming into your life telling you what it means to be blessed. You can get on Instagram, you can get on Facebook, you can get on, well, don't get on Twitter, nothing's good on Twitter. All kinds of other places that can tell you what the blessed life looks like. You can go to the movie theater, you can turn on your television, you can watch an advertisement, and voice after voice after voice after voice tells us what it means to be blessed. And we, we ought not come in here and think, I'm not affected by that. We are. We are. Our old man still wants to raise his head and desire the blessings that the world tries to give us. We must be willing to admit that we don't really know what it means to be blessed. Our natural proclivity in and of ourselves doesn't know, we do not know what it means to be blessed. We have all sorts of definitions, but they really contradict what Jesus says, what it means to be blessed. We really have a major contradiction here. For most of us, probably all of us, the biggest hurdle, what I want to push on, trying to push on, 
our biggest hurdle will not be adding new ways to be blessed. Like this is how we like to have our Christianity. We're very, we're very syncretist. We like to say, I have my definitions of what it means to be blessed. Jesus has got eight more. All right, let's unload them as well. And I've got, here's my, all the ways that I think life is to be blessed. And I'm going to pile on Jesus' other eight. No, you can't do that. They're in contradiction to what we in the world define as a blessed life. And so we must, the biggest hurdle for us in reading the Beatitudes is not just onboarding Jesus' definitions of what it means to be blessed, but turning away from the world's definitions and the world's offerings to us of what it means to be blessed. We are messed up. And our thinking, we are we have to tear down the one way, the ways of being happy that we already believe in. Christianity is a much of this work of repentance and turning from what we're already convinced of. Because here's the trouble: Jesus's description of the blessed life runs in direct contradiction to the world's descriptions of a blessed life. The description of a blessed life that we formulate is the polar opposite of what Jesus describes. Instead of being poor in spirit, we believe those who are blessed are those who are well, rich in spirit, feeling great. Those are the blessed ones, right? If we were to say who's blessed, it is not the po- those who have poverty of spirit. It is those who are rich and satisfied. Instead of those who are mourned that are blessed, it's those who are laugh and are frivolous. Those who mourn, who have a sobriety of life, that's not blessing. It is those who live life like it's all vacation and all wonderful and all magical and all frivolous and pointless. That, that's the blessed life in our worldly thinking. Instead of the meek that are blessed, it's, it's blessing goes to those who are forward and demanding. You want blessing in your life, the world tells us, you better get what's yours. You better go hard after what you deserve. Meekness, get rid of it. (laughs) That's not the blessed life. Taking a back seat to others, that's not a blessing. Blessedness is getting what you deserve and going hard after what you deserve. That's what the world tells us the blessed life is. Blessed are those, it's not those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but those who hunger and thirst for their own prerogatives. Decide what you want and go get it. Don't concern yourself with hunger and thirsting for righteousness, God's ways. Figure out the way you want and go get it. Figure out what you want and go get it. Instead of thinking that is blessed that those who are merciful are blessed, we demand to get what we are owed. It is not blessed are the merciful. It is blessed are those who know what they want and they go get it, who demand to get what they are owed. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Motive and character are not what matter so much as just dogged commitment to get ahead. Using even deceit, being actually duplicitous is okay by our definition of blessedness if it gets you what you want, if it gets you what you want. Peacemakers, they are not the blessed ones but instead those who use division to get ahead. Sometimes people will actually, the the blessedness is starting a fight so that you can divide and conquer. (laughs) That there's blessedness in getting ahead by any means possible, not by trying to bring parties together, but by using division to get yourself ahead. And we certainly do not think it is the persecuted who are blessed. 
Rather, it is those who are celebrated who are blessed. Those who are laid low, they're not the blessed ones. We don't feature them in our specials. We don't have them listed out as our, you know, aren't we glad this person's on our team, the persecuted. No, it's those who are celebrated, those who are successful. Those are the blessed ones. We are all messed up in our thinking. We are. This, our natural, carnal self, the old man, this is what he believes or she believes is the blessed life. Case in point, our current obsession with really selfishness that's called self-care. And at, at one level, you don't hear me, we are not for self-abuse. <laughs> so self-care in the right context, I could get behind of you should not be seeking to do harm to yourself. But what our culture likes to do is say is to take its selfishness and say, what I'm really doing is I'm, make, I'm taking care of myself by going whole hog into my own selfishness. Our world today has taken this good impulse of not hating yourself, essentially, but has tortured and manipulated this doctrine of selfishness and labeled it self-care. Maybe you've seen the meme floating around. says something like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you posted it, I'm sorry, but it's really, it's really bad. It's not, you can't pour from an empty cup. Do you see, that, that sounds great, right? We're like, oh, yeah, right, you can't pour. I better make sure I get what I deserve because then I can help other people. And so then you take it, see how this works out in your life. Take a week off and just care about yourself. Just go on your vacation, spend your money, live your life for you, abandon everyone else in your life, just care for yourself. When you get back on day eight, do you know what you care about? Yourself. <laughs> you haven't solved anything. You've just stoked the fires of selfishness. It is a bottomless well, like the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about. He pursues all of these things, wisdom and self-indulgent, and pursues and pursues and pursues. And he's the king. He has the means to be totally selfish. And he gets done with it, and he says, it's all vanity. Seeking after a wind. The ear is never tired of hearing. The eye is never tired of seeing. More, 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 more. But we love that in our carnal self. The blessed life is the one who gets to live for themselves. Do you see how that's in direct contradiction to what Jesus says the blessed life is? This meme of you must be, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So blessed are those who have filled cups. Jesus says, blessed are those who are empty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Why? Because it is when they are low that then Jesus cares for them. <laughs> what you need is not self-care. What you need is Christ's care. What you need is what we all need. The blessed life is having Jesus. So, contradiction. Okay, Jesus is listening out. Here's the blessing. My heart has erected thousands of idols that try to say, here's what blessing is. And we must see these idols come down that we can see what true blessing looks like. Just quickly, let's pray to that end together. Father, as we are working through this text, I want to just confess and, and, and know that my own heart is an idol factory. And at war within me is this new nature that is hearing these beatitudes and desiring deeply 
to have Jesus, to have you, God, to be called a son of God, to have the kingdom of heaven be the place for my citizenship. And at war with that is this fleshly carnal self that I live with every day who is looking at, who is getting all, has all these voices coming in from all these different directions, seeking blessing through all of these worldly means that will end up leaving me dead and dried out and only hungry and thirsty for more selfishness. God, right now, in this place this morning, give us eyes to see the idols that we have put up in our life. The idols of blessedness that do not, a blessedness that does not come from you, that God, we might tear it down and seek you as the true path to blessedness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, quickly then, <laughs> what are these blessings? What are these blessings that Jesus runs through and their reward? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is not commending economic poverty. He's not saying blessed are those who are impoverished in that way. It's specifically those who are poor in spirit. The posture of the king's people is one of recognizing their poverty and their need. We see this problem over and over in the Beatitudes. The difficulty of coming to Christ is not one of being too needy. <laughs> the difficulty of coming to Christ is not being too hungry, not being too poor, not being full of too much sorrow. The problem is being too full, <laughs> is being too satisfied, is being too self-confident. That's the problem that of, of coming to Christ, being too needy. It is, is not of one of being too needy, it's one of being too full. If you do not recognize your poverty before Jesus, you offer no space for him to fill you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Now this is not some sort of idea that pain is pleasure. Jesus is not saying that by default when terrible circumstances come your way, then you're blessed. Like when bad things happen to you, isn't that obviously wonderful? But his attitude that he has, there's an attitude of mourning that Jesus himself exemplifies. If you, if you read Isaiah 53, uh, verse 3, right, Jesus is a man of sorrows and familiar with grief or acquainted with grief. There was a sobriety that Jesus lived with. There's a sobriety that, he, that Jesus lived with, a mourning to life over our sinfulness, certainly. Over our, blessed are those who recognize their poverty of spirit and their, their sinful state before a holy and righteous God, and they mourn over that. God, I mourn over just what we're praying there. I, I mourn over the idols that I have put up and have tried to serve over serving you. There's a mourning that comes to that. But there also is just this seriousness, this, this recognition that life, there is a sobriety to life. That is good and beneficial. There's a general difficulty of life. It is no comfort to just pretend like life isn't difficult and frequented by sorrows. Bonhoeffer says this. He says that by mourning, Jesus, of course, means doing without what the world calls peace and prosperity. He means refusing to be in tune with the world or to accommodate oneself to its standards. There's a willingness in the king's people to recognize that this world is not their home. There's a mourning. We are not fully with our king yet. One day we will be. 
And so blessed are those who mourn, who have a realization of their poverty of spirit and the seriousness of life. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's putting strength aside and not insisting on having your own way. Jesus himself lived a life of meekness. Our, I, was, I should have paid more attention. Our passage from Colossians this morning actually mentioned being meek, living in meekness with one another. There's this call to be meekness. And Jesus describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as gentle and lowly or meek. That there is a meekness to Jesus. Now we know Jesus created the world with the, by the voice of his power. He is the one through whom all things came into creation. He is not lacking in strength. He can do whatever he wants, yet does he employ that strength at every turn? He is meek, he is humble, he is lowly. He puts, in many ways, others in front of himself. He comes to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. There is a meekness to Jesus' people, the submission to God's plan and to his timing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is an ongoing in the reality in the life of the king's people. Desires live strongly in each one of us, yet it is the king's people alone who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A desire, a chief desire to see God honored and to see God's ways upheld. In that sense, Jesus says, then they are satisfied. The poor, those who mourn, the meek, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, those who do not insist on retribution or their own small definition of justice. The king's people know the mercy that they have been shown and so they extend that mercy to their neighbor. Those who are pure in heart, this is not sinlessness. It is not if you finally get your heart purified, then you will see God. There's this real reality. We, we, we never get there, First John 1, 9, if you say you have no sin. Uh, you deceive yourselves. Um, but there is, what this is speaking of is consistency of motive and action. The king's people live honest, consistent lives. We do not say we honor and treasure these things in one crowd and then honor and treasure things in a different crowd. Con hypocrisy is something that we hate. We want to mean what we say. We are to be peacemakers. This does not mean peace at, at any cost. Like we, just, we never stand up for truth or righteousness. Jesus certainly is a peacemaker, but he also says, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> and we see many places throughout the Gospels where Jesus does stand up for truth and righteousness. I bet the Pharisees did not think Jesus, Jesus was a real peacemaker <laughs> when he would show up and call them whitewashed tombs. Empty sepulchers. He would, they did not think, whoa, this is a great peacemaker. He pushed for truth. But there is a posture that seeks to create and keep peace wherever possible. Our first reaction ought to be to care for others and their concern, keeping the peace. And then the persecuted. And this one's out of our hands, really. is nothing we create. But when the, out, when the world outside sees the kingdom people living this way, there's, Jesus is recognizing there's an acknowledgement that these disordered posture that the world sees our priorities at, they do not like them. They do not like this posture of attitude. They did not like Jesus, and the world will not like his people. People with hearts for the world and not for Christ will not appreciate your love and service for him above all. 
know this and serve him all the more. So that's flying through them. Honestly, you could, we had a hard time figuring out, do we want to take more time on these individually? And you really could, if you take the time to memorize these, really dig into what these, um, the, the implications of all of these things. But at the end, look here at verse 11. There's an epilogue of sorts to the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Again, what is this guy talking about? I mean, you read this, rejoice and be glad when others persecute you, revile you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on his account. That does not feel good, right? <laughs> Some of us have experienced that maybe even recently of people uttering evil against you falsely, making up claims against you, saying things about you, others reviling you, others actually uh, having some sense of persecution, even if it's just being... Uh, you know, negative talk, gossip, whatever it might be. We all experience that. And what does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad. Based upon what? For great is your reward in heaven. This is the king's way. They rejoice in the midst of of an upside-down world. People talk about the Beatitudes or the upside-down kingdom that we live in. This is how blessed people live. When persecution, poverty of spirit, when mourning comes along, when they live meekly, when they hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they're merciful, when they're pure in heart and honest, when they seek to make peace and not... Uh, formulate division when they seek when they they accept persecution they inherit the kingdom of heaven it is not a rejoicing in the persecution or the reviling or the false evil accusations the rejoicing and the being glad is found in setting our sights setting our thoughts setting our hearts somewhere else it is remembering and setting our eyes upon the reality of our place with jesus what, how would you summarize the Beatitudes? What makes life good and meaningful? Having Jesus. And then we spend, I've, I've done 25 minutes on all this stuff. But the heart of the Beatitudes is that Missio Church, church family, beloved, if you have Jesus, you're blessed. You can be poor in spirit, you can mourn. You can hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can live meekly. You can be persecuted. You can seek the peace. You can be persecuted and rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You are the king's people through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can rejoice and be glad. The whole world is the king's. And if we are his, we are blessed we have nothing to fear or long for in the ultimate sense, even if it brings trouble in the circumstances of this world. All these beatitudes, they are a compass recalibration. What really matters? Where do we set our GPS towards? What's the grounding of this declaration of blessedness? It is this repeated phrase. Verse 3, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6, or verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 12, for great is their reward in heaven. Those who live with this guarantee, this possession of being God's people and of a future life with him, they are truly the blessed ones. If you have Jesus, that is what it means to be blessed. And we can live in this world under all the trouble and we can take second place. We can live meekly. We can go through persecution. We can seek to be peacemakers. We can be poverty of, we can be poor in spirit. We can mourn of our own, our own sin and the seriousness of life. And to go through all of those difficulties and all of those postures and yet still rejoice because the king is ours. The king is yours and you are his and your future is with him. There is no greater blessing to live for than this. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to go into a time of communion even this morning, I, I pray for conviction of sin. It is so easy as we go through our weeks to let jealousy and envy and idolatry rise up seeking after the blessed life in so many false ways. Drinking, as our song we've been singing speaks of, drinking from empty cisterns, dry wells. It is so easy, God, to, to get caught up in those things. And this morning, as we get prepared for communion, God, we want to repent. We want to confess sin. And we want to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We rejoice that there is forgiveness. We rejoice that Christ came to take the punishment of our enmity and our, our idolatry so that we could be forgiven, we could be brought into the family of God, and then we could set our sights and our hope upon this true definition of blessing, being in the kingdom of heaven, being your people. God, do that work in our hearts as only you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.